Welcome back to Off the Cuff, Evacor Healthcare's podcast. I'm your host, Emily Coe. Today, we're going to talk about home care with a special focus on how home care can address social determinants of health. Our guest today is Katie Sherman. Katie is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is team lead of social work with Allegis Healthcare. Hi, Katie. Hi, Dr. Cole. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Great. Um, Call me Emily, please. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. Great. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, So before we dig into social determinants of health, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your role at Allegis Care and um, what it means to be a social worker and with Allegis? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I got to figure out where to start with that one. Uh, Yeah, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Allegis Care. Uh, We provide a variety of really home-based services, uh, primarily for seniors, but sometimes for people that might fall, you know, under the the senior standard per se. Uh, And we work to really bring that care into the home. You know, so it's a lot for people that have difficulties getting out to go to a traditional doctor, you know, or see a traditional primary care physician. Uh, We have different options to either bring a primary care doctor in the home or possibly a nurse practitioner and their team to give them some support services. So my role within Allegis Care is over and as part of the social work team. So we work, you know, really in conjunction with those providers, like you were saying, to really try to target those social determinants of health, figure out what is really keeping this person from being able to have their best quality of life, you know, and how can we work to to really try to mitigate and take away those those barriers to care. So really love doing that for sure. That's great. And that, uh, so my familiarity with social work, um, I often think of social workers as the resource gatherers Mm -hmm. for clients or for patients. So you all know that, you know, if there's an issue with someone's nutrition plan, you know where to get help and where to direct them um, and so forth. Does that sound about accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Social workers, you know, social workers can provide a lot of different types of services. You know, I think in this type of setting, you're looking at a lot of linkage is what we say, you know, in terms of what is a person needing, you know, and how can we link them with some type of either community-based resource or possibly even something within their own health plan, you know, that might be able to, you know, help them really just do a little better, you know, or in some situations help a family have more support. Uh, So that's a lot of what you see in terms of social work, you know, even social work in general is obviously really broad, you know, but when you're talking about this population and home care, you're really looking at that, that linkage, you know, identification and then linkage to try to, you know, remove whatever barriers keeping them from having quality care. Right. And you're also a teacher, right? You teach at a local university in Chicago? I do. I do. I've been really privileged to teach for the last, I guess this is my sixth academic year. Um, So I teach uh, in a master's of social work program at Dominican University. Um, I love teaching their students. I help students through um, human behavior and social environment. Mm -hmm 
courses, uh, which is social determinants of health at its best, you know, which is our <laughs> yes. topic for today, and then also help them through their field placements. So, well, let's get down to the nitty gritty of social determinants of health. And I have a definition here that I want to read. There may be some folks listening who, for whom this definition or this term is new. Um, right. But uh, according to the World Health Organization, um, social determinants of health um, include the range of personal, social, economic, and environmental factors that determine the health status of individuals or populations. And social determinants of health um, are predictors of health outcomes. And um, that's why it's so important that we address them um, at the individual level through that's programs right. like Allegis Care. Um, so Katie, could you give us um, some examples of some social, social determinants that you um, see every time you go into you know, an yeah. individual's home? Absolutely. You know, I think that definition, you know, by the World Health Organization is great, you know, because when we talk about it, you know, even in an academic setting, you know, you're looking at so many pieces going into a person's quality of life. You know, you have the medical treatment they're able to get, and then obviously if there's some pieces of genetics there, but you know, a lot of research says there's this huge chunk still that falls under these social determinants of health. And, you know, what are they? I mean, they can be so, so many things. Um, they're, they're all the things that social workers pay a ton of attention to. You know, you're looking at um, a person's, you know, whether it's their socioeconomic status, you know, meaning, you know, where they're able to live, you know, if they're working or, you know, what they were doing when they're working, um, you know, how much income, you know, you're talking about that financial piece. Sometimes you're looking at, again, where they live. Um, and that doesn't just mean neighborhoods. It also goes into safety. You know, um, it ties really closely into food then. You know, food security mm -hmm. is a huge issue. Uh, I work in the Chicagoland area. Uh, we're always thinking and speaking about food deserts. You know, areas where, you know, if you're talking about somebody that has diabetes, you know, you can't talk to them about diet, you know, or things like that when, you know, I could tell you they don't have a grocery store, you know, for yeah. several miles um, or, you know, looking at different pieces like transportation, huge social determinant of health, you know, mm -hmm. can somebody get to their appointment or not? That's obviously going to have a huge impact, you know, on yeah. how they're able to function. Um, you know, overall, you know, just any, also the other aspects of the healthcare system, you know, being able to navigate things that gets into literacy, um, you know, mm -hmm. internet access, you know, how many times do we take for take advantage that you can just go online and look up something, right. you know, yeah. a lot of our patients don't have that luxury. Um, you know, again, you know, literacy, um, you know, just understanding all those different pieces and then always, you know, looking at, you know, pieces of discrimination, uh, equity, social justice, you know, in our community, all of those tie into, you know, the social determinants of health for a person. So it's basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything you can't treat with a medication. <laughs> um, Find something that's not under there, but it's all yes. there. <laughs> yeah. And I would imagine social workers have been addressing these, these issues way before it mm -hmm. was, um, you know, the social determinants of health sure. phrase became you know, a, a household term. Absolutely. Um, and I know in my experience, it, talking about food deserts, um, you know, it's not um, too uncommon for folks to get a lot of their food from local convenience stores. Mm -hmm. So you have to 
find a way or, or teach the, the patient or the indiv individual how to get healthy foods at right. a convenience store. Um, so, um, and it's not like a lot of individuals can just call or order HelloFresh or right. have, you know, food right. delivered. So, um, so regarding the internet, I was curious as to how um, social media has influenced mm -hmm. your ability um, to work with clients in their homes. Um, are they able to use different apps or, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever would be out there to help them monitor their health? Sure. You know, I think it always depends on the person that you're working with, you know, but I think we've really seen, you know, especially as we've all been working, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, I think I've been really surprised and pushed at, you know, some of the ability, you know, of especially our, our older population, you know, to navigate, you know, whether you're talking just different social media platforms or, you know, peer support opportunities, which are huge, you know, if you can connect somebody that's dealing with a chronic illness to other people that are also dealing with that, you know, there's definitely that camaraderie sometimes mm -hmm. can really improve, you know, and especially, you know, when you're dealing with a population, sometimes it's really isolated for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not perfect. You know, I think there's always a need to, um, for companies, you know, and agencies, you know, like Allegis Care and others that work in this field to try to figure out how to bridge that gap better. Okay. Because mm -hmm. you're always going to have people that don't have the access that you and I might have, you know, with a couple smartphones or laptops yeah. or whatever it is sitting around, you know, so how do we get something in the home, you know, that can give them the ability to, you know, do telehealth or, you know, like you mentioned, you know, use some of those great, you know, internet resources, you know, to, you know, really try to maintain and improve their health overall. So during COVID, were you still going into um, homes to care for people? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think generally speaking, each home care entity had a different approach, you know, due to, you know, different issues and challenges going on. At Allegis Care, we did pull back out of the field, um, but that doesn't mean we pulled out of providing care, you know, to the people right. that we were providing care. So we really switched to, you know, a telehealth model, you know, whether it was our providers, you know, meaning our doctors or nurse practitioners trying mm -hmm. to connect with people, you know, via, you know, some type of approved platform, you know, that a person might have access to. Uh, but sometimes, honestly, us as social workers just had to kind of step back and, you know, do a lot by phone, you know, do a lot by mail, you know, do things, yeah. you know, possibly viewed as a little bit more old fashioned, you know, but again, kind of meeting people where they're at, you know, still figuring out ways to provide, yes. you know, the services, you know, even with us not being able to have boots on the ground, so to speak, in their homes. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily, we've been able to start getting back out, you know, and yeah. I know we're all really excited about that, you know, but, uh, you know, it was definitely, you know, quite a few, basically a rough year, you know, yes. not being able to provide services the way we had been for quite a bit of, quite a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so tell me a little bit about your first visit with a patient or a client. So you have a new person pop up on your, your dashboard or whatever, sure. wherever you get your information um, and you go see the patient. Um, what does that look like? Sure. Really good question. I mean, it, 
it can be, you know, you kind of have to look at so many different variables. When you're first going out to see somebody, uh, it's always a balance of trying to get as much information as you can, but also wanting to go in there, you know, with really just an open mind, you know, to get to know the person and see where they're at. So I will gather whatever information I have from the provider, you know, that has possibly already met with the patient. Usually they've identified something that they're needing help with, you know, whether it's transportation or needing more assistance with their daily activities, you know, or something that they feel is hindering their health overall. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have that going in the back of my mind, but you know, we'll go into the home, uh, try really hard to keep it very conversational. You know, it's, it's a visit, yeah. you know, in the end, yeah. you know, so for social workers, I think we have the luxury of, let's just talk a little bit, you know, have, have you ever met with a social worker before, mm -hmm. you know, have you had experiences with that before? Were they good or bad? Yeah. You know, let's talk yeah. through that a little bit. Um, talk about I, a barrier. Someone who's yeah. had a bad experience with a social worker, you're not going to get anywhere. Exactly. Um, so that's yeah. why if you can, if you can kind of suss that out a little bit to know, you know, hey, mm -hmm. this is what happened, you know, and this is, then you, you know, you're already in a position to try to rebuild, you know, that, that trust and that relationship at, at that point, even if it wasn't your relationship, you know, so yeah. to speak at fault. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, we have just general areas, you know, really looking at social determinants of health to try to figure yeah. out, sure, I'm here because I know you have a transportation barrier, but there's a decent chance sometimes that I'm going to be able to identify mm -hmm. something else that's going on. Uh, and but do you use um, a standardized assessment tool um, or, or several different ones um, when you yeah. go in? Yeah, social yeah. workers, we always say you kind of have to have a mixed bag, you know, yeah. tools at your at your disposal, you know, sometimes we will, you know, use, you know, mini mental status exams, you know, or depression screening sometimes, if we're concerned about that, you know, or uh, different indexes or assessments to try to help us see what level of support a person's needing in their home, mm -hmm. you know, and what areas they might be struggling in that maybe they wouldn't verbalize to you just by asking questions. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're able to hit on that as well. But I think when it comes down to it, you know, social workers rely a lot on their ability to build rapport, you know, yeah. and just talk with people and talk and also observe. That's the yeah. best benefit about going into a home. You know, you can have somebody tell you on the phone, everything's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Best day ever. And you can get there and you're like, this is not the best day, you know, <laughs> and let's talk a little bit about like what's going on. You know, yeah. um, are you having some trouble getting your groceries put away? I see you got a delivery, you mm -hmm. know, what, what are the barriers to what you're needing? You know, yeah. what are you really needing assistance with? Yeah. So, um, how do you involve families in this conversation? Uh, I think it's right off the bat, you know, I mean, at Allegis Care, we work with, you know, a very chronic uh, illness population. So a lot of times the families are involved right off the, from the beginning, because maybe mm -hmm. um, a person really isn't able, unfortunately, to communicate for themselves as easily anymore, mm -hmm. you know, so families are almost always involved from the very beginning. Um, and if they're not, you know, I'm coming in and asking, hey, you know, tell me, who's around, you know, who supports you, you know, understanding that for a lot of our patients, family doesn't just mean children, siblings, things like that. You know, I, I think one of the 
best things that I've learned is like somebody's closest person can be the yes. neighbor two doors down, you know, who isn't going to necessarily show up if you start asking them, do you have any children? Do you have any, you know, you have to listen to them as they're telling you who the people are, you know, or maybe they're connected to a faith community, you know, or you find out that they have you know, somebody connected with them through some community services already. So now that you know their resource as well. Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, we always think of family members being in the mm -hmm. homes or, or visiting mom or dad or whomever mm -hmm. um, to help out. But in a lot of cases, the family, they're in different cities, different states. So Absolutely. it is the neighbor and the church family uh, helping mm -hmm. out. So that's really great. Um, so let's see, um, health literacy. So health literacy, um, is for the listeners mm -hmm. is not only the ability to, um, read, um, health materials, but also being able to act on the information that, that you're reading. Um, so do you find yourself, um, teaching skills? So, um, helping to make uh, communications more understandable and then also providing skills um, to show them how to apply that information? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one thing to hand, you know, if you're using like a very physical example of like a pamphlet to somebody with some information, you know, and even if they are able, like you said, to, you know, really read it, you know, can they take it, can they apply it, you know, or if the literature contains like a resource, for example, are they able to access said resource, you know, and really be able to figure out how to, you know, utilize that and actually mm -hmm. make that phone call, make that connection. You know, a lot of what we do is, you know, really, hey, you know, what I'm hearing is this could be really helpful for you. Let's call together, you know, so doing, yeah. you know, whether oh. it's calling in the home, you know, if you're lucky enough to be there or during COVID and honestly, always the three-way call can be magical, you know, just yes. to say, Hey, let's, let's call together. Let's get this other agency on the line, you know, and then we'll make sure you are connected, you know, because sometimes it's that, it's that warm kind of transfer and warm connection process. It's just, uh, it's really making sure that somebody's able to take that information and in the end, do something positive with it. And it isn't just going to be something else that's sitting there making yeah. them feel like kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. It can be overwhelming and daunting for, mm -hmm. you know, anyone, you know, even us and we work in healthcare. So that's Absolutely. really, that's wonderful. Um, and what about um, for folks um, where English is the second language, uh, mm -hmm. do you all offer, um, you know, Spanish or, you know, other languages um, when you interact with the um, clients? Absolutely. So in some areas, we're fortunate enough to have bilingual staff, uh, which is obviously fantastic, you know, especially for um, we have uh, a certain group of patients that are down in the Valley area of Texas, which is a predominantly Spanish speaking community. So we are able to have uh, of providers that speak both languages. Uh, but if we don't, you know, for example, myself in Chicago, unfortunately, I don't speak fluent Spanish, you know, so uh, we do, we are lucky enough to have professional uh, professional translation services that we can access um, eat by phone, you know, and it's not ideal, you know, yeah. but uh, it, it gets the job done, you know, yeah. and I have found in the end that the patients, as much as they know it takes a little bit longer, they're really appreciative of knowing that they are heard. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, sometimes we do have family members, you know, that will do translations, but I think whenever possible, we try to err with some type of professional translator because especially when you're talking about, you know, medical conditions and things like that, uh, you know, you don't want a well-intentioned family member to maybe phrase something, you know, possibly in a less concerning note or a more concerning note, you know, than you intended yeah. it to be, you know, it's right. yes. you really don't yeah. want something to get lost in <laughs> translation then. So. Right. So let's say you have a new patient. Um, what is the typical duration of your interaction with that individual over a period of time? Like how many visits? Yeah, absolutely. So the really nice part about what we do at Allegis Care is social work is given a lot of autonomy. So I think it's really hard to like, so to speak, prescribe, you know, I think you're going to need X number of visits to get to, you know, a better level of functioning, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that let's say like physical therapy might be said, we're going to do eight visits and then see how you're walking, you know, social work just doesn't really work like that, you know, so our social workers are trained to approach really each person that we're working with individually, Mm -hmm. you know, so for example, if I'm working with somebody new and I'm noticing, you know, they need transportation linkage and they need help getting, you know, like a homemaker, for example, in the home and, you know, maybe they're needing some help with advanced directives or things like that. You know, I may have a once a week, you know, visit, whether it's by phone or in person with that patient, you know, over several, several weeks while we're getting everything in place, Mm -hmm. you know, and then once they're more, I always say secured and supported up, you know, then we might be able to drop that frequency down, you know, ideally to a point with patients that I've been working with for years that I can say, Hey, I'm going to call you in a month and just make sure everything's still in place, mm-hmm. you know, and going okay because yeah. you don't want to get that call of, oh my gosh, my meals haven't been coming. You know, it's like if I'm continuing to check in, I can be on top of that. So, yeah. not a direct answer because it can vary, but I think that that just shows that it's really specific and specialized to mm-hmm. the person. It's not mm-hmm. one size fits all. We, we hear a lot about burnout um, for social workers because it can be so emotional. Um, and, and just hard on, you know, folks who go into this field because you are caring in the first place Mm -hmm. and, um, it can be, um, uh, have a lot of stressors. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you are there any, um, really, you know, great, is there a great story that you would like to convey that, that makes you, that reminds you of why you are a social worker. Uh, you know, there's so many people that, you know, that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years that, you know, really stand out as, you know, people that we've been able to have a positive impact with. You know, I think sometimes uh, you have to, I always tell my team, I said, you have to take the small wins. Okay. Sometimes if you're constantly waiting for the big full picture, you know, the, the magic, you know, you might miss the really, really small things, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, you really have to look at, um, you know, whether it's just, um, for example, I've been able to work with different people and help them get, uh, you know, more people to come into their home to provide them some services, you know, and just them just providing that help with navigating that, you know, while it's really just, you know, sometimes can just be seen as, okay, I checked that off my list, they're good to go with that, that's good. You have to take a 
step back and realize what was the impact on that person's life? You know, and I've been fortunate enough in the time that I've been, you know, practicing and then especially with Allegis Care to be able to have my patients tell me this really helped, you know, I, I feel, and, and I have to feed off of that and those moments, you know, and remember that it's those really little pieces, you know, it's, it's kind of the old adage, if you blink, you'll miss it. You know, if yeah. you're waiting for, you know, the most major thing to happen, you probably missed six really awesome things that happened underneath, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, I think that's how uh, we try to, you know, keep going. And I think with our team, I've been lucky, uh, you know, one of the, the members of the team that I work on uh, put together some self-care tips, you know, for everybody at Allegis, you know, while we're all practicing in this COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the ones I liked the best was really talking about mindfulness, uh, because I think for me, it's, it, I, I felt good about that one because I didn't feel like it took a ton of time because I could never balance that well, if I have to spend, you know, half an hour on self-care, then I'm really stressed <laughs> out that I just missed half right. an hour of things I could have been doing, exactly. you know? So yeah. for me, it's like mindfulness. Okay. I'm okay with taking just a couple minutes, you know, to ground myself and center myself and pause, you know, and yes. then go back. So yes. I, that one's been, that one has been definitely stood out for me, pandemic or no pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And I've found mindfulness, um, helpful, for me, you know, individually and also in my programming as well. Um, it's just such a, um, it helps with sustainable behavior change, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so um, I did, um, I asked some folks to provide questions, okay. uh, questions from the, the viewers, I guess, um, related <laughs> to uh, home care and social determinants of health. You have addressed a lot of these uh, already in your responses, but um, let me revisit and see if there's anything you would like to add. So one um, question was, what type of workers deliver home health or home care? That is a really great question. And I found so many times that, you know, people are so overwhelmed at this. Uh, and there's so many different pieces that go into it. So I think if you yourself are getting to a point of feeling like you might need some assistance in the home, you know, or possibly you're looking at this for a family member, you know, whether it's an aging parent, you know, or whatever the situation may be, there's a couple different things to understand. Um, you have a couple different resource banks that you can try to pull from. Um, and all of them have different requirements, you know, but ultimately to keep a person in home for as long as possible safely, which for a lot of people is their goal. Okay. You have to try to figure out your right puzzle of these resources. So uh, one stream that I think people are sometimes most familiar with is tried and true home health. Um, And when you hear home health, you should automatically be thinking insurance that should go off in your head as a moment, okay? And whatever that means, whether you're talking straight Medicare, Medicare Advantage, you know, a, a private insurance plan, whatever that is, that is going to be something that your doctor feels is medically necessary, 
So your doctor has identified a need, you know, so whether you're needing physical therapy, occupational therapy, home health, wound care, you know, something like that coming into the home. Um, Something to remember with that, they're usually time limited. Okay, so we're looking at, you know, a certain number of prescribed visits, and then, you know, maybe they'll renew it for another one, but this is not going to be your long-term answer to anything. Okay. so from there, you know, and the people that provide those are, are nurses, you know, predominantly or possibly certified nursing assistants um, or the respective therapists as well. Okay. Um, Got it. So there's bucket A. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess bucket B, you know, you're looking at really assessing, you know, what your local community resources are. Um, and when you're talking community resources, you know, you're really looking at whatever your area on aging is. Um, so Department of Aging, you know, is something that exists at a federal level and every state has its own entity. Um, so sometimes you kind of have to start even at a state level is sometimes a good spot to start resourcing, you know, or ask a social worker if you have access to one. Um, but, you know, we're able to kind of figure out hey, you know, this is what they're needing with, and these are more long-term support services, okay? So this might be, they they usually do what they call a determination of needs assessment. So trying to figure out they need help with groceries, laundry, you know, um, different things like that within the home, possibly some personal care. Um, But those sometimes also come with eligibility requirements related Mm -hmm. to finances. So, if you have a lot of money in savings, then sometimes you're not unfortunately going to qualify for that. But you still have like at that point, like a private pay bucket that you can kind Mm -hmm. of dip into in terms of looking at other community resources that are available for you to do what I would say more a la carte type options. You know, hey, I'm really needing help with laundry and cleaning. You know, let's look at getting somebody to come five to six hours a week. You know, so it's those three buckets kind of you try to piece it together to get you to a more stable point. Okay, that's great. And I think um, probably a lot of folks don't know that home health and home care are different. So home health equals insurance, um, possibly Medicare, uh, approving a a provider um, requesting services um, that may be medically necessary. And then home care is um, the coordination of local resources that can mm-hmm. help improve someone's life, um, possibly Absolutely. meals on wheels or mm-hmm. um, you know, laundry, that sort of thing. Okay, great. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, so I have a silly question. Um, you go into a lot of different homes. Um, what, if so, what if a social worker has a cat allergy and their <laughs> patients have cats? How, what do you do in that situation? You slowly back away. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) It happens all the time. I think there's different levels of, we call them environmental hazards. Um, (laughs) There's different levels, right? Um, I think, you know, a a good social worker asks ahead of time two main questions. Who else is going to be there when I visit? Um, And what else is going to be there when I visit? Um, You know, just, just so that you're aware, you know, because if you're deathly afraid of dogs, you know, you yes. can ask, hey, can can you please make sure the dog is either crated or possibly in another room? And most people are very respectful of that. Yeah. Um, so 
you're able to kind of have that conversation ahead of time. The who's going to be there is really important, like from a safety perspective. Oh, right. You know who you're going to be anticipating interacting with, you know, and then if you get there and possibly there's more people, you know, you're, you're talking about somebody's health information. So you want to be mm-hmm. respectful. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's tough. Um, I've still, I, I myself am allergic to cats and have definitely <laughs> been in the home and seen the cat creeping along the back of the couch. And oh. I'm like, okay, don't touch your eyes. Oh, no. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's okay. You know, we, yeah. I think those type of things you can work past and get through. And most yeah. patients are very respectful and very thankful that you're there in the home to help them. So they'll shoo away whenever they need to. Right. So. Oh, that's great. I know one of Allegis primary goals is to reduce hospitalizations of, of patients and also to reduce readmissions into the hospitals. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different pieces of what we do at Allegis that really centers on that. And I think one of the, the key pieces, you know, we're obviously providing medical care and medical treatment, which is a huge part of it, okay? You know, whether it's identifying somebody has an infection, you know, before it gets to the point of having to go to the hospital, you know, or things like that, or when a person's, you know, discharged from a hospital, quickly doing a follow-up visit to make sure they got their medications, they got what they needed, they are actually feeling better. There's, of course, that medical component, but I think one of the key pieces that, you know, differentiates, you know, Allegis's approach is that we do tie into these social determinants of health and we understand how those factors also can possibly make a person hospitalize or readmit, you know, that was unnecessary, you know, so really looking at, you know, whether it's them having their in-home supports in place, you know, to make sure that they are able to, like we said, just getting their medications, for example, you know, we have to follow up to make sure that they have, you know, whether it's their transportation to get to a specialist appointment, you know, if they're discharged and told you need to go and see a cardiologist this is very, very important. You know, we're following up not only from a medical perspective to help them coordinate with their cardiologist, we're also asking the question of how are you going to get there? You know, and how are you, you know, are you going to have, you know, the, the finances to, to pay that copay, you know, if you're worried about that, for example, you know, and if they give you information from the cardiologist, you know, talking about health literacy, are you able to digest what that means, you know, and what those next steps are? And I think all of that ties in because if you don't have that follow-up, you know, that need for the cardiologist could just fall off, you know, and then the person could readmit again, you know, whether it's two weeks or two years down the road because of an issue that should and could have been addressed. And I think that, you know, Allegis Care does a great job of trying to intervene in that situation. Yeah, that's great. So the um, the touch points and um, making sure that they are engaging in self-care or following up on their appointments, all of those things um, to help manage their condition, um, help prevent the hospitalizations. That's right. wonderful. Thank you. Um, so now we've talked about COVID. Um, have you seen, uh, so prior, pre-COVID, um, televisits were kind of like a, a a weird, strange thing to a lot of people. Um, And now because of COVID, we've been forced to have um, more uh, televisits um, with our providers. Um, Have you seen a positive shift 
in acceptance of televisits as just routine? Absolutely. It's been really interesting. You know, Allegis now has been able to start getting back out into the field and mm -hmm. was actually just on a call earlier. And uh, one of the patients, was, a provider was talking about how one of their patients said, you know, we can just do this by phone. I don't want you to have to drive out here. You know, they, they are, they were okay and felt like their needs in that moment were getting met, you know, by that telehealth component. Um, and I think a huge piece that you know, that kind of warms a social worker's heart, so to speak, is that I hope, honestly, like stick around post-COVID is other disciplines, accessibility and proficiency with telehealth. You know, so previously, you know, we can come out as possibly a primary care physician or a collaborating nurse practitioner, but we still have to try to get this patient physically to, you know, a cardiologist or a pulmonologist or even an oncologist. Now, you know, it might be possible that they can go once, you know, and then possibly follow up, yeah. you know, via telehealth. And that is huge when you're talking yeah. about a population that is not able to get around, just hop in your car and get around and mm -hmm. go, yeah. you know, yeah. um, it's, it's absolutely, uh, you know, just really important. And then again, when you tie in that mental health piece, you know, I think the idea of having a telehealth appointment with a psychiatrist was unheard of, you know, prior to all of this, other than a very rare exception. So I truly hope that um, not only providers continue to embrace this, but the regulatory boards um, and, you know, Medicare, CMS, you know, continue to work to make these options. We're really talking about accessibility, not only for an aging population, but also people with various other disabilities that might keep them from accessing traditional brick and mortar healthcare. Yeah, that's great. So one, um, I guess we could look at it, one positive outcome of COVID is that it's broadened your reach. Um, yes. You can reach more patients more often, um, more consistently, um, which may ultimately have an impact on reduced hospitalizations. Um, so maybe that's the, the silver lining in all of this. Mm -hmm. And we were even able to see that with regards to um, take, for example, like our chronic care population at Allegis Care. You know, they were used to seeing their doctors in person in their homes once a month. Well, during COVID, the doctors were not able to go out and visit in person. So sometimes they were doing increased telephonic touches, you know, and sometimes those increased telephonic touches, you know, were able to even mitigate even more, you know, to keep people out of, uh, you know, especially in the, you know, in that center of COVID with hospitalization rates so high, that was the last thing we wanted our patients to have to do unless they really needed it, you know, so our providers were able to, you know, get crafty, which they always have been, you know, but they, they were able to really like increase that uh, exponentially. And I, it was uh, really amazing to see. And, and like you said, I hope that that's the, the odd, you know, the mm -hmm. odd bright side that comes from all of this. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So Katie, in this time of COVID, what are some guidelines that you are giving your social workers and also patients um, as far as preparing for a visit during COVID um, to help keep everyone safe? That's a great question, you know, and obviously center to when we did, you know, pull back from the field and 
focus more on telehealth, you know, we realize when we do go back out, we have to have a plan, you know, for how to do that safely. So uh, there's a couple different factors that go into it. Obviously, all providers, you know, have been encouraged, you know, and if able to and, and willing to been able to get vaccinated. So obviously a huge part of, you know, getting this pandemic under control. Um, so that is a huge portion of it as well. But also there's multiple screening tools in play. Um, so we're really looking at outreaching and confirming visits with patients beforehand um, and then asking them pertinent questions, you know, asking them to take their temperature, talking about if they're displaying any type of symptoms, um, and then also going through steps ourselves to really self-screen ourselves as well, you know, to make sure vaccinated or not, that we're making sure we don't have any symptoms, you know, and then also limiting the amount of interactions we have per day. You know, pre-COVID, you know, we, I might have gone out and gone to five different patients' houses back to back to back to back. You know, now it might not be as many, you know, and obviously there's different steps that get taken in between visits, you know, so whether it's sanitizing our hands for our providers, sanitizing any equipment that they may have, uh, you know, we have different mask protocols that we utilize so that we are always masked appropriately. And we also ask that our patients and anybody else that would be present in the home is masked as well. Um, and we're even able to help provide, you know, some basic masks if that is an issue, you know, for some reason. Luckily, it seems that most are accustomed to it at this point, you know, but you know, just going through and making sure all those, all the screening is done and, you know, really, you know, that professional obligation to ourselves to make sure that we're not doing anything that could be potentially, you know, putting our patients at risk, you know, first and foremost, secondary ourselves at risk as well. Yeah. Yeah. Here in California, before I go um, to any, for any provider visits, I have to answer the checklist of questions okay. such as, have I traveled by air in the past two weeks? Um, has anyone my, in the home um, also traveled, you know, by uh, by plane in, in the past two weeks? Are those? Do you ask those similar questions as well? Mm -hmm. We do have a standard set of questions that we run through, you know, related to, like I said, temperature, travel, you yeah. know, any concerns, um, you know, really self-monitoring of symptoms, mm -hmm. questions related to exposure, you know, if anybody has tested positive in the home or yeah. if you've been exposed to anybody that's tested positive, hence putting you possibly in a quarantine status, you know, and um, I think that the positive in at Allegis is we have such a strong rapport with our patients that, you know, it's, it's all, the screening is obviously of the utmost importance but it's almost like before you're even screening patients are saying, you know, no, you can't come this month. This is what we're doing. And honestly, our patients that have, you know, either been directly impacted by COVID, you know, whether testing positive themselves or loved ones are usually reaching out to us and saying off the mm -hmm. bat, hey, I, I'm either I'm worried or concerned and, you know, we can help them coordinate getting tested, you know, in the home. Uh, there's a lot of home health companies that are able to go out and do that testing if they're not able to get to, you know, their local pharmacy, you know, or whatever the local testing entity is. So it all comes together to make it, you know, as safe as, as possible for um, both provider and patient and family. Great. Thank you. Katie, thank you so much for today's conversation. I loved hearing um, the social worker's perspective on how to address social determinants of health. This has been very informative. Um, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much, Emily, for the opportunity. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Great. Thank you for listening to Off the Cuff today, Evacore Healthcare's podcast. Join us next month.